fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Big Blue View podcast. I'm Ed Valentine of Big Blue View, and on today's show, we're going to talk about the Arizona Cardinals. To uh, And to do that, we're joined by John Venerable of SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds. John writes for the site and is co-host of Revenge of the Birds podcast. John, thank you very much for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk with you. Hey, you know, the uh, the Cardinals were uh, one of the, the more interesting teams in uh, during the, the offseason, and uh, they'll be uh, kind of exciting to watch this year. So, uh, you know, different, uh, a little different, you know, for, for the Cardinals this year with uh, with Kyler Murray at quarterback. And, and obviously that's where we have to start. What's your take or your your belief on whether the Cardinals were right or not to uh, to move on so quickly from Josh Rosen and to go in the direction of, of taking Kyler Murray first overall, putting the franchise in his hands? Yeah, I think that's the question right now uh, that we're going to watch over the course of the next, you know, two to three years, whether or not the Cardinals were proven right uh, or if, you know, Rosen even gets the opportunity to prove them wrong considering his current situation. I can tell you that I was a big supporter of Rosen dating back to last season. I thought the Cardinals got tremendous value for him when they traded up in the first round from pick 15 to pick 10, only giving up a third and a fifth in the process. Um, And I can also tell you that Rosen this time last year in camp looked outstanding, looked every bit like uh, one of the best young quarterback prospects in football. And then it just kind of unraveled there. The Cardinals put together probably one of the worst NFL staffs from a, a coaching standpoint that this league has seen in some time. I think Rosen had some of the worst pass protection up front that uh, that the league has not seen since David Carr. If you check the advanced analytics, it, it would support that. Um, Steve Wilkes is a is a good man, is a, a sound defensive head coach, or excuse me, a sound defensive coach, but really has no business being a head coach. We found that out. And then to, to hire Mike McCoy as your offensive coordinator in the year 2018 is just outlandish. So Rosen was conceivably set up to fail from a coaching, administrative, and personnel standpoint. Um, but I fully expected him to run this K- Cliff Kingsbury offense moving into the offseason. I thought all the Murray hype was white noise. I thought they were tr- trying to drum up a, a trade-up opportunity for Murray, whether it be Oakland or your New York Giants. Um, and then as we got closer and closer to the draft and uh, noise started getting louder and you got reputable people like Chris Mortensen and Adam Schefter saying, like, this is going to happen, you know, the, the rest of us had to come to grips with it. As much as I liked Rosen as a prospect and, and want to continue to see him potentially do well elsewhere, you know, I, I, I am very much a, uh, a big buyer into what Cliff Kingsbury um, – could do for this team offensively and if he deems Kyler Murray the quarterback he and Steve Kime deem him as the quarterback of the future and to maximize this offense you know who am I to judge Um, I will say the Cardinals were historically bad offensively last year and by historically bad they had uh, only averaged roughly 13.5 points per game less than 14 points per game in in today's NFL standards that's horrifically bad Um, so even though I, I want to pile on everything other than Rosen. I mean, he was not good over the course of, you know, the games he started. He got progressively worse. He lost confidence. And, you know, it is it is fair to question what his ceiling would be. Everybody, you know, coming out compared him to maybe a poor man's Matt Ryan. 
And we've seen Matt Ryan have success in this league, but he, I don't think anybody would consider him a transcendent talent. And I, I firmly believe that's what they consider Kyler Murray to be. And, and listen, uh, you know, once we got past the point of like swallowing the compensation that we had given up for Rosen, you know, coming to grips with the fact that we weren't going to get that compensation back and just focusing on Kyler Murray, the player, I think a lot of Cardinal fans would tell you they're excited about Murray. They're excited about what energy he can bring to this, to really this irrelevant franchise at this point. Kyler Murray, I think, has the same kind of gravitas and excitement built around him, similar to Michael Vick, but he's much more of a refined pocket passer. I think his game is much more suited for the 2019 NFL than Vick's was, you know, back in the early 2000s. And so my biggest concern is, and this is probably unfair to him, but because he's never been hurt, but just how will he hold up over the course of a 16-game NFL season? Can he take the pounding he's going to take behind that Arizona offensive line. Now, to Kingsbury's credit, they're going to be in in the shotgun 99% of the time. They're going to be doing you know three-step reads. They're going to be doing quick dropbacks. They're going to be doing you know four-wide receivers getting the ball out quick. David Johnson's going to be utilizing the passing game much more often than he was neutered under Mike McCoy last year. So he's not, I don't think he's going to take as many hits as obviously Rosen did last year, but. You know, from an on-the-field standpoint, uh, Kyler Murray is the real deal. If he can stay healthy, I think he'll be uh, a franchise quarterback. To what level, I, I don't know. But uh, I'm excited to find out. John, I want to get to Cliff Kingsbury. But before I do that, I wanted to uh, circle back to a couple of things that you mentioned there. You talked a little bit about Steve Wilkes. And, and really, this is just a comment. I have to say that I'm glad that it was the Cardinals and not the Giants who ended up making the Steve Wilkes mistake. Sure. I, I, I seriously thought that with Dave Gettleman having been in Carolina and having worked with Steve Wilkes, I thought that Wilkes would probably get an interview for the Giants job and might be one of the front runners to get that head coaching job. And say what you want about Pat Shermer, and some people have – I guess people have varying opinions on Shermer. I think in the the NFL.com ratings that came out today, he was the lowest-ranked head coach other than guys who are in their first seasons as head coaches for, you know, for whatever that's worth. But thank you to the Arizona Cardinals for making the Wilkes mistake instead of letting <laughs> the Giants do it. Yeah, well, it got us to where we're at today, so I can't fault you there. I will say the Cardinals wanted to interview Pat Shermer, had a lot of interest in him, and would have probably named him their head coach had the Giants not been his prime target. So the Cardinals kind of fell back into Wilkes. Um, and I can also tell you that the Cardinals probably, as crazy as it sounds, would have been better off keeping your current defensive coordinator, James Betcher, and, and promoting him after Bruce Arians left. The Cardinals were uh, consistently a top 5-10 to 10 defense with James Betcher. Um, they ran what they do now a conventional 3-4, but they, for whatever reason, uprooted their entire defense under Wilkes, and that started off the chain reaction of, you know, the ineptitude that was the 2018 Cardinals. Now, what I will say in defense to Wilkes is he was probably much more suited to inherit a veteran franchise quarterback, like a, like the situation that you're seeing in, in, in I want to say, San Diego with the L.A. Chargers. If that kind of team was you know, had the pieces in place for him to just kind of seamlessly transition in. They ran his his you know preferred style of defense. You've got a franchise quarterback in place. I think that he would have been more successful than he was. But you know, just the plan that was put in place by by him from a schematic standpoint, and then really Steve Kime should not go without blame. The Card Arizona Cardinals GM that 
brought in, you know, both Mike Glennon and Sam Bradford to run Mike McCoy's offense. I mean, it just, it was a comedy of errors, a comedy of ineptitude from this franchise. And what it led to was the team bottoming out to the point where they got the number one overall pick and they've essentially had to restart and very much are, are looking instead of shortcutting uh, instances last year at quarterback and head coach, they're, they're going for a long rebuild approach and that's the sound way to do it. John, since you mentioned him, I have to ask you about James Betcher. He was brought to New York last year. There was quite a bit of, of fanfare over the, the hiring of Betcher instead of the retaining of former uh, defensive coordinator Steve Spagnolo. The Giants' defense performed badly a year ago. Dave Gettleman said a number of times that had they been able to get stops you know, at the end of games, they would have won four or five more games than they did, you know, in their 5-11 and 11 season. My take on Betcher has been that it's not fair to judge him off of last season because he didn't have the kind of players that fit the type of defense that he likes to run. Just give Giants fans your thoughts on James Betcher on the kind of defensive coordinator he is and on what he might bring to the Giants given some time to fully implement his system and get the kind of players that he wants. Yeah, absolutely. I think the perfect situation to compare it to is what you just explained. The Cardinals had a fan-beloved defensive coordinator in Todd Bowles in 2014 who led them to a postseason berth. It was very much a defensive heavy team. They were they were top five in, in total law or total defense. And um, to that regard, Todd went on to be the defensive coach of the year and get the job with the Jets. And so it was very much in flux who would be the next defensive coordinator and they interviewed outside of the organization, but eventually settled on James Betcher per Bruce Arians recommendation. And it worked out. I mean, the Cardinals the next year with James Betcher now, the, the offense took flight, but he played a very nice complementary style of, of defensive football in route to a division championship, which they hadn't netted since Kurt Warner had been there, and also an appearance in the NFC Championship game. And had they not run into a buzzsaw on Cam Newton and the Carolina Panthers, I think they would have been you know, right there to, to contend for a Super Bowl and, and did throughout the duration of that season. I mean, he held multiple high-powered offensives to, you know, subpar performances he um had a very strong showing against Aaron Rodgers outside of those two like Hail Mary miracle throws that Rodgers seems to pull off against everybody if you go back and watch the divisional round in 2015 Patrick Peterson has a pick six that would have sealed the game and and Rodgers was still in the teens I think late in the third quarter that the officials called back on a phantom holding call so my uh, recommendation for Giants fans is wait until he gets the proper personnel, which he did not have last year. I think that's why I, I can sense a lot of frustration with Giant fans with the, with the team not going uh, edge rusher in the first round this year because that's really what he needs to, to make his defensive front seven work. He's a defensive front seven guy, um, and he had Chandler Jones and Marcus Golden go off in 2016. If you look at their numbers, both of them had double-digit sacks. Marcus Golden led the league with 13 and a half sacks uh, in uh, 2016. Chandler Jones the next year had um, 17 sacks. I mean, Chandler Jones was a was a good player in New England. He became an elite player, in my opinion, in Arizona, partially because of James Betcher. Um, you know, he had a, he had a lot of quality players, but he produced multiple top 10 defensive finishes as well. And the team 
uh, opted not to retain him or even offer him a contract because they hired Steve Wilkes, a 4-3 guy. Had they gone with an offensive-minded head coach like Pat Shermer, I think you'd see probably the same combination that you're seeing in New York in Arizona. So Giants fans should take solace of that. I think he's a good coach. I'm not sure he's a great coach, but I think he's a very probably a top 12 defensive corner in the league. And again, if you give him the talent, he can he can help your team, you know, lead you to, to division titles and have success. I know Spagnola historically was was fantastic in New York. Um, and and so it was probably time for a change at some point as well. So uh, don't give up on him just yet. It's it, I think it's more so about addressing the, the defensive personnel, because I think the Giants have, have made a lot of investments in their offense recently. And it's time to, to shed some light on the defense. John, you know, the Giants did invest heavily defensively in the draft with several of their picks being on the defensive side of the ball. You mentioned the edge rusher situation, and at 17 in the draft, which was the Giants' second first-round pick, they chose the big defensive tackle, Dexter Lawrence, when you know Montez Sweat, who is the the edge rusher type guy that that everyone sort of figured that the Giants would go after, was still on the board. Just knowing about your defense, and as you said, he really needs that edge rushing presence. Just your thoughts on on selecting a guy like Dexter Lawrence and and what he does or could do in a in a James Betcher type defense. Yeah, and I forgot to mention Marcus Golden is now a member of the New York Giants, and I have always been, not to get too off track, but I have always been a huge Marcus Golden fan. Uh, His 2017 season was wiped out with an ACL tear that he really wasn't back from uh, last season, and he played out of position. I mean, he's really going to be back in his current outside linebacker role for the first time since 2016, where he led, I believe, the NFL in sacks with with 12 and a half, 13 sacks that year. I mean, he's a really good player. And so if the Giants are getting that Marcus Golden, who's still under the age of 30, even if he puts eight to 10 sacks up a season, that's going to do dividends. Um, I know they had signed Kareem Martin, who was a Cardinal uh, third round pick, a nice rotational player. And you're right. They do not have a transcendent edge rusher. But like you mentioned, Montez Sweat would have been good value, but there were some health concerns. Uh, some medical concerns. I don't think um, you know anybody was rating outside of that first group of pass rushers that all, excuse me, went in the top ten. It was a pretty big drop off, and so you're looking at best positional value. And like you mentioned, the Cardinals utilize the really the five technique that nose three four nose tackle to perfection with Betcher. He he had Corey Peters, who was a uh, high contributor from Atlanta, come over in the Cardinals defense and was a really nice player. And they were always stout against the run is in Arizona. And that's you know the first success to you know a great defense is you got to be able to stop the run. And I know if you look up Corey Peters numbers uh, in 2016 2017, they they weren't great statistically, but just the presence up the middle. And so I'm sure that's the frustration where Giants fans is, is he's going to play a lot of quality Sundays. And unless you're watching intently, you may not see it jump out on the stat sheet. So what I would tell you is I, I would hope for Marcus Golden to have a rebound year. And then next year, depending on where you're picking, um, try to target an edge rusher. But, you know, going Daniel Jones in the top 10, if you believe he's the quarterback of the future, 
you can't risk it on an edge rusher if you don't have the quarterback. I'm a firm believer that the quarterback takes care of most everything, and then you put pieces around him to be successful. So, you know, I, I give you – know, I know a lot of people are dogging on that pick. You know, if you don't have a quarterback, you, you're not going to win much of anything in this league. And, and so, um, you know, next year, address the pass rusher. The Cardinals got pretty far uh, without a dominant pass rusher until Chandler Jones arrived in 2016. The Cardinals did not have him in their 2015 playoff run, if you go back and look up those numbers, and they still were, I think, top 10 in sacks. Now, granted, they had Clayus Campbell as a as a uh, defensive end, but go back and look who they were starting at outside linebacker in um, you know the postseason in 2015. It was a lot of street-free agents, some Alex Okafor mixed in there. So Betcher got the most out of that unit, um, and I, I would much rather have had Marcus Golden um, in his uh, late 20s than whatever they were touting that year. So. John, let me ask you one more question before we take a quick break here. I was going to ask you, in fact, uh, in a little while, I'm actually going to ask you kind of go player by player, some guys that are with the Cardinals now, some former Cardinals that are with the Giants. But let me ask you this Marcus Golden question before we move on. The thing that I'm concerned about with Golden isn't necessarily the health per se. You know, I can look at last year and say, okay, he wasn't healthy. You go back a couple of years to when he had the big sack season. But I look at that, and despite the numbers, I'm not sure he was a number one pass rusher. On that Cardinals team, I believe he also had Chandler Jones on one side. And I believe the Cardinals also had Calais Campbell at that time, if I'm, you know, if I'm Correct. not mistaken. Correct. So my question is, when you look at the Giants, they might, you know, conceivably be asking Marcus Golden, you know, coming off a couple of down years, to be a number one pass rusher. Can he be that guy, or is he a guy that that had a lot of that success? because of the quality of players that was around him? I think a little bit of both. I think the Cardinals took him in the second round and had touted him as what they believe was a franchise edge rusher, if that position exists, from the moment they drafted him. And uh, that was the same year that um, another highly touted outside linebacker from Missouri came out that went to Denver. His his name escapes me, but... um, Marcus was the kind of the afterthought in that class, and he had, I think, under double-digit sacks for his last year at Missouri, but they had played a traditional 3-4 defense. And so we're like, okay, yeah, let's wait and see. And then he flashed briefly in 2015, just wasn't ready as a rookie, but then came out and exploded the next year. And you're right. I mean, he benefited from Chandler Jones on the opposite side, and he, he benefited from Calais Campbell being up front. But Joan, Jones and Calais played on the same side of the field for the most part. I mean, Marcus was on his own. Did he have some cleanup sacks? Sure. But I don't think he lucked into 12 and a half, 13 sacks that season. I, I think a realistic mark for him this year, I think the over-under I would put at it for his sacks in, in 2019 is eight. And for getting him as cheap as you did, I think that that would be a sound contribution to a Giants defense. It has some nice pieces. You know, I can't speak to their depth on the defensive line outside of Dexter Lawrence and, and, you know, who's at defensive end outside of Olsen Pierre and some other guys. But what I can tell you is that he is a high character guy. He's somebody that's going to be in this league pending health for a long time. And that I think could still consistently be playing at a high level into his thirties, assuming he can stay healthy. He's somebody that I would not count against because he's going to do everything on and off the field 
the right way. Um, and I know it's somebody the Cardinals had targeted about giving a big time second contract to before his, you know, ACL injury and then the, the coaching change. I think had he not gotten hurt, of, of course, and they had kept a three, four minded defensive head coach, even with uh, the Chandler Jones deal, I think they would have paid Marcus Golden. And I think he would have gotten paid nicely. Assuming you look at some of these other defensive end deals, outside linebacker deals for some, you know, you just dealt away Olivier Vernon. I think Marcus Golden's a better player than Olivier Vernon. John, Giants fans will be thrilled to uh, to hear that assessment, and uh, we'll cross our fingers and hope that you're absolutely correct because the Giants definitely need some playmaking off the edge of their defense. Let's uh, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors here, and then we will come back and continue our conversation with John Venerable about the Arizona Cardinals. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Giants fans, we're back here on the Valentine's Views podcast talking with John Venerable of SB Nation's Revenge of the Birds about the Arizona Cardinals John, a couple more questions for you, and then I want to play a little bit of a uh, little bit of name game with you. We talked about Cliff Kingsbury, but I haven't really asked you yet. What is your take on Kingsbury? I mean, this is a guy who basically is a failed college head coach who who is now getting a chance to run an NFL team. You know, basically, he has a, a really thin resume. Is this a guy who can actually succeed as an NFL head coach? That's what we're going to find out. I think we're going to look to this as an experiment that really nobody else was willing to take on, but the Cardinals are banking on the trends that they're seeing throughout the rest of the NFL, is that you're going to pair an offensive head coach, albeit one with no experience, with – what they believe is a young, transcendent franchise quarterback. I thought they should have done this last year. I would have given Josh Rosen an offensive-minded head coach. They did, didn't do that. It blew up in their face. I think defensive head coaches, unfortunately, are, are the way of the past with the way the rules are based now. I would not hire a defensive head coach in today's NFL um, unless my team was, you know, Peyton Manning and you know Taylor made to win a championship and. You know, everything lined up the right way. I I would pair any young quarterback, rookie or not, 
with an offensive-minded head coach, somebody who's calling the plays or is an integral part of the play-calling process. And that's what they targeted with Cliff Kingsbury. I can tell you that in December, even with Steve Wilkes on in the way out, he hadn't been fired yet. The team was in some kind of connection conversation with Cliff Kingsbury. They identified him as a target. Uh, I know they liked Adam Gase a fair amount. They interviewed Gase early on. And I can tell you it was down to the New York Jets and the Arizona Cardinals for Cliff Kingsbury's services. They went back and forth um, in somewhat of a bidding war to get him to be their next head coach. Had the Cardinals not hired Cliff Kingsbury or had Cliff Kingsbury not chosen the Arizona Cardinals, he would be the New York Jets head coach. And the Cardinals likely would have hired Adam Gase. They would have swapped positions. Um, And so what I can tell you is they are trying out a unique experiment in which the GM – is hiring an offensive coordinator as head coach to work primarily with his offense. The GM, Cliff or Steve Keim, essentially picked hand-for-hand his defensive staff, uh, that being Vance Joseph, and, as defensive coordinator, and is filling out the rest of his coaching staff outside of the offensive side. Uh, Kingsbury has you know, complete control of the offense, um, and situationally on game day, he is going to you know, run the team, run the show, but it's, it's very different than how things have been done historically in the NFL in the past. They wanted to pair Kyler Murray or Josh Rosen because had they decided not to go with Murray with a young offensive mind that could grow with him, assuming this year and maybe next year is going to be a rebuilding year. He's 39 years old. And, you know, say what you want about his coaching record, he can score points. And that's what wins in the NFL now. I mean, we saw Kansas City. We saw the Steelers. We saw the Rams. Um, struggled defensively at certain points last season, the Chiefs especially early on, but they were putting up 30, 40 points a game early on in the season. Um, and the Cardinals want to have an offense like you saw in those cities last year. And I think that the defense is going to go going to go by the wayside at least early on. And then once they feel like Murray and Kingsbury are ascending enough as an offensive staple, they'll address the defense kind of a, at a situational basis. I think they'll always hope to have quality pass rushing, but you know, I don't I don't know if there's going to be as much of a precedence placed on the Cardinals defense when the offense was so historically bad. I can't for those that you who didn't watch the team last year. First of all, you're very fortunate, but they were one of the worst watches I can remember as a, you know, a 30 year old that has been watching football all my life. I've never seen a product this poorly offensively. And for that to be stated in, you know, the year 2018, uh, that being the team last year with the way the rules are trending, it's just, it was horrific to watch. Larry Fitzgerald led the, the team in receiving yards with 734, you know, receptions. David Johnson only averaged 3.6 yards per carry, but that doesn't even do it justice. The team, you know, Josh Rosen led the team in, in touchdown passes with 11. He threw 14 interceptions, completed under 60% of his throws. I don't even think they reached 3,000 yards passing as a team. In fact, they didn't. Um, they were you know, last in first down, last in third down conversion, last in fourth down conversion, last in total offense, last in points per game, last in rushing yards, last in passing yards. I mean, it, you have to try to be this bad offensively. And so, of course, the Cardinals are going to try to do something this drastic in order to jumpstart this. And you can already see it. I'm not saying it's paying dividends yet, but the Cardinals are – uh, on preseason TV, uh, nationally televised games twice, and they only have one nationally televised game that was predetermined before they picked Murray. So they're hoping Murray um, makes them relevant again. Um, we can worry about, I guess, winning later. 
Boy, that's a that's a mouthful of uh, of bad statistical uh, performances there. Unbelievable. Yeah, you you would have you had to watch it to believe it. I mean, we, we got to the point at the end of last year where you were just hoping they would uh, get out of the game with Rosen still being intact. I think the worst case scenario had he like torn his ACL, but it was fully possible. They just they looked they were starting a practice level offensive line, and their offensive line isn't great to begin with. But they it was practice level street free agents by the end of the year, and that's you know part of it's on the GM. He was not uh, competent enough to address that position. And what I will give credit to the New York Giants. And their front office, they've made it a priority. This franchise would kill for a Kevin Zeitler or a Will Hernandez or even a Nate Soldier. I mean, so the Giants, I think, have done a really nice job, and I'm hoping the Cardinals can emulate it to some degree over the next 18 months and really rebuilding this line from scratch and adding some key pieces. I think your two guards in particular are two that I would have killed to have had this past year. Zeitler's a really steady player in this league, and I was a – a huge Will Hernandez fan was when he was coming out last year. So uh, I think the Giants, at least up front, are heading in the right direction. So let me ask you this uh, before we uh, before we get into a little bit of uh, of the name game kind of thing that I've mentioned earlier in the show. Cardinals had eleven draft picks, so beyond Kyler Murray. You know the first overall pick out of those eleven picks. Are there a couple of guys in that group that you're really, really excited about? Yeah, I mean it was it was a, a banner day for the team. They um, got a lot of great value, but that's to be expected when you're picking first in each round. I think the couple guys that jump out, Byron Murphy. As much as I wanted them to go tackle at pick 33, I think Byron Murphy's positional value or overall value at pick 33 was too good to pass up for the team. I think a lot of people had him as the number one corner in this draft. And with Patrick Peterson potentially being on the outs with the franchise, suspended six games next season, um, being able to implement him, a fellow teammate at Washington, Buda Baker, um, gives you a nice um, duo in the secondary for hopefully the years to come. And I think one of the biggest under-the-radar moves that any team made via the draft was Hakeem Butler at the first pick of the fourth round. Butler, who a lot of people had a you know a mid-second-round grade on, if not higher. I saw some mocks with him going late first in early April to get him at the top of the fourth round. And I get it, he's raw, but he's somebody with you know six five four four speed. And to be able to pair him with with Kyler Murray, and then what else they've done at receiver and kind of uprooted that position, um, just to ask him to to go and do you know his traditional goal routes he's made some sensational catches in his career at Iowa State he and Kingsbury have a long-lasting relationship so his value I think at the top of the fourth round don't be surprised if in two years from now he is the de facto starter opposite Christian Kirk on the outside somebody the team's also very high on and I would say to somebody to target in your fantasy drafts this year as a breakout player for the team but um, Byron Murphy and Hakeem Butler were both tremendous value um, players at, at where they were picked up. And what I also will tell you is, you know, Andy Isabella was the pick for Rosen, was the player that they had traded away, Rosen being, and they got a second-round pick from Miami, a late second-round pick, and they used that on, on Andy Isabella. Isabella, in, in my opinion, his ceiling is probably right at 1,000 yards, and so a, a lot will be made that the Cardinals traded away a potential franchise quarterback for a slot receiver, um, but they view him as an interchangeable piece, punt returner, kick returner, somebody who had the highest deep ball grade of, of any player via pro football focus, was an All-American at his level of play at UMass. So, I mean, it, I think that, that that position itself is is 
gone leaps and bounds compared to where it was last season, that being receiver. Um, but much to my chagrin, of course, if you listen, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know that, you know, I'm a sucker for the O-line and, and having them not address it again with Murray, you know, only being five, nine, that, that concerns me, but from a, you know, a value standpoint, I can't argue for with the, with what they did. All right. So let's finish up with this. I'm going to throw some names at you and just give me your reaction, your thoughts on, on the players that, that I mentioned there's some crossover between the, the Giants and Cardinals with uh, players that have gone back and forth. So let me throw a few names at you. You've already talked about Marcus Golden. You already talked a little bit about Kareem Martin, who is in his second year with the Giants. So let's uh, let's throw a couple names at you. A guy that the Cardinals signed to a big free agent contract, Justin Pugh. Your thoughts on, on Pugh? Uh, very disappointing. I think the echo probably what a lot of Giants fans felt. I think somebody who can't stay healthy and when he's healthy, he's a, he's a solid player to the average player at the guard position. Now the Cardinals aren't asking him to play tackle like the Giants did at times, but somebody I think that the Cardinals are, are going to be looking to move off of, uh, after the season, assuming he's not healthy for at least 14 games. Antoine Bethea. Great player in his prime. The Cardinals uh, got a lot of miles, mileage out of him uh, over the course of his last couple of years in Arizona, but somebody who's probably this is on his uh, last legs in the NFL. If they can get a, a competent season out of him in New York, that'll probably be the, the last one that you see. Can he play at in his age 35 season? I looked at his splits and on pro football focus in terms of positions that he played can he still play, you know, for another year, at least a competent free safety? Yeah, I think so. If you give him enough ample time on the sideline, if if you play five, six DBs at one time, I think that he is a tremendous presence in the locker room. He's one of the highest character players I can remember Arians talking about. And Arians was with him uh, in Indianapolis when they won that um division title when Arians was the um, default head coach during Pagano's uh, surgery and, and cancer scare. And so um, Arians was a big reason why it was the reason why they brought him to Arizona. And so if you're implementing a young safety in the secondary, like the Jabril preppers, like the, like the giants are, he's the perfect kind of running mate. Um, he's probably best suited to be your third or fourth safety. Um, but, it, you know, starting and then, you know, leading way to some younger players rising up, I think, uh, is fine. That'd be he's he's a I think he'll be a solid contributor, assuming he can stay healthy, but not somebody you want to you know foresee playing past this year. Eli Penny. Is that Elijah Penny? Right. Yeah. So he was kind of a big power back that the Cardinals envisioned utilizing along with David Johnson, and then once they figured out that, that David could be an elite in between the ball tackler at the goal line that they kind of scrapped that. And that was the breakout season of 2016 where David had 20 plus touchdowns. I always was a big fan of his game. Um, but Barkley is so um, comparable to David and better than David at this point in his career. Um, I don't know how much he'd be utilized, but somebody that I definitely like, I would feel great about using him in the red zone um, and wearing people out, especially with those two guards. And the last one is another defensive player, another former Cardinal that the Giants have have brought in to give them some depth along the defensive line. 
a guy that, to be honest, I know virtually nothing about, and that would be uh, Olson Pierre. Yeah, actually, Olson Pierre is um, somebody I, I envision the Cardinals keeping after the 2017 season and, of course, let him go um, because they transitioned out of their base 3-4, and I thought it was a terrible decision. In the 2016 season, the Cardinals um, had to keep him on their active roster and would not put him on their practice squad. I think he was a rookie, maybe a second-year player. They were so high on him in his early stages, but he just didn't have a space on their defensive line. It was one of their best defensive line groups in 2016 um, that they just stashed him on their active roster. And the next season in limited play, he did not play. He was not a starter, consistent starter, uh, maybe a spot starter. He had five and a half sacks for a, a, a solid defense, but one that had lost Calais Campbell, one that was trying to force feed us, Robert Kimdichie. And he outplayed a lot of defensive linemen on that, on that defensive line in, in 2017. And then for whatever reason, the Cardinals opted not to keep him um, and, and let him walk. And so it, it was a little bit disappointing after this season, they, they basically made him irrelevant with Steve Wilkes. I, I would look at the 2017 as more of an indictment of who he is. It's somebody who, well, he's only 27 years old. He was undrafted. Like I mentioned, He's got some good size. I think he's almost 6'5", 300 pounds. Um, he can be a nice rotational player for the Giants' defensive line. Absolutely. John, thank you very much for uh, spending some time today dropping some Cardinals knowledge on us. If you want to know more about the Cardinals, check out uh, Revenge of the Birds' website. Check out uh, John's podcast with Revenge of the Birds. Giants fans, as always, we thank you for listening. We encourage you to subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications. All right, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye now.